As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show and our latest batch of listener questions. On today's show, we'll be looking at some Super League suppositions. We'll wet our whistle with World Cup wagers. We'll start a promotion and relegation delegation. And we'll find out which of the Total Soccer Show chaps has the most caps in a listener questions episode that well and truly slaps. Hopefully. My name's Ryan Bailey, and we have a full complement of hosts back in the house today. Yay for everybody. First, we have a man who'll probably be playing for Man United next season at the rate they are shedding players. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. I think that's a compliment and also an insult simultaneously. Well done, Ryan Bailey. Well done. I mean, do you want to play with them? Because it's probably on the table at this point. Is it weird that I'm like, no? <laughs> like, <laughs> no I got to get into really good shape, and even then it's going to be bad. So no, I'm good. I'm good. I'll hold out for, uh, I don't know, Real Madrid. Okay, yeah, you should set your sights uh, for the uh, European champions. Why not? I don't feel yeah. comfortable saying that. I don't like that I said that. I feel like I need a shower. <laughs> All right, also joining us, Taylor, is a man who answers questions like Tim Weyer scores goals in friendlies firmly and beautifully. Joseph Lowry, hello. That was quite the goal. Man, he hit the absolute leather off of that ball. Now, if you've listened to our Soccer 101 episodes in the past, you know that they don't actually make soccer balls with leather anymore. But hey, Tim Way hit the ball really, really hard, and I liked that, Ryan. He hit the bladder of that pig's bladder. Is that what you meant to say? <laughs> it is now bladderless, which is just awkward in a whole number of different ways. Just like FIFA. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Can I uh, have that one? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah you can you. have it. <laughs> All right, joining us, Joe, is a man who's returned from vacation in the world's best country to his home in a country not very good at World Cup qualifier playoffs. Oh. Graham Ruthven, welcome back. I'm very sorry. Uh, it's it's okay, Ryan. To be honest, after the relentless cheer of Disney World, it was probably a good thing for my personal character <laughs> that I had a soul-crushing Scotland <laughs> defeat immediately afterwards. You've got to keep the equilibrium, you know? <laughs> Wow, that's the ultimate come down. Coming, coming from joy with your family in Florida in the sunshine to whatever happened at the stadium in Glasgow, Graham. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you say it was an enjoyable holiday, but we're saying before we record, started recording, Orlando's not a relaxing holiday, so I'm not sure a stressful experience like the one I endured at Hamden last night was exactly 
what I, I needed, but nonetheless, I feel relaxed and refreshed after two weeks of oppressive heat, screaming children, and long lines at drive throughs Do you mean... Graham, I think you just did a lot of legwork to get to. You needed a vacation from that vacation. Yeah, I did, yeah. My wife's, my wife's already away. She's away in France for the weekend. <laughs> wow. Was that, was that before or after Scotland lost? Because I'm picturing them <laughs> losing and her just heading straight to the airport and getting on the, uh, the Early this morning, yeah, <laughs> so afterwards... <laughs> Well played, Mrs. Rudman. Very well played. I like that a lot. But um, Graham, I'm surprised you don't find uh, lining up for three hours for a child's ride in 100% humidity fun. I thought you might find that amusing. Um, it wasn't the best of fun, especially with a two-year-old. That was a new experience for me. That That is uh, challenging. But it was good to remind myself of all the questions I have about the oddities of American life. That was the first time I'd been in the States since 2019. Very unusual for me to have gone that long without visiting. So it was genuinely good to be back. I like America, even if your drive throughs are terrible and slow and you don't know how to pay for anything with Apple Pay. Still confused about that. Still confused about that. I know you maybe covered that when I was away in the pod. <laughs> Graham, one day, my child, I shall take you to an Italian drive through Then you shall see what chaos looks like. <laughs> uh, please don't. It doesn't sound too appealing. <laughs> okay, very well. We won't do that. Um, there are other kinds of food available in Italy, apparently. Um, Graham, I do feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for myself because it is a day where neither of us should be working as British people. Uh, as we record, it is what we are now calling the Platy Jubes. Uh, the platinum, are we? Yeah, the Platy, Who, if you look on Twitter. That, that? It's trending on Twitter, Graham, the Platy Jubes. Uh, Joe, would you like to have a guess what that means? So before before <laughs> any, any further comments are made, can we make fun of this or not? Is this like a, a serious yes. yeah. event? Good we can question. make fun you of can, it. Yeah. I intend to. That is the worst name for any holiday or event that I have ever heard if you're trying to get anyone to take it seriously. What is it? The Platy Jubes? That's what you Platy said, Jubes. right, Ryan? Yeah. Taylor, any that ideas? Is, that is horrifying. <laughs> I, well, I appreciate that Joe clarified it because for a minute there, I was like, is the platypus native to England? And I just yeah, like that. This... I was very yeah. confused. <laughs> I'm assuming it's... it's something related to your stupid monarchy. Yes. Yeah, got to be a jubilee of some kind, obviously. Yes. Platy jubes platinum. equals platinum jubilee, indeed. Yes, we're too we're too fast moving to say the whole thing and all the syllables, basically. Of course, um, but we shouldn't be working. <laughs> we shouldn't be working today, think... Graham. So well done for turning up today. Uh, it's also an Italian public holiday, or as they call it, a day ending in Y. Here, am I right? Um, it's the Festa <laughs> della Repubblica. Um, <laughs> I, can't believe, I can't believe Italy, uh, Italy insults is already beating Scotland insults. <laughs> I know, so we're two to one. That, like, we're two to one, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Ryan. Do you know we went out of the out of World Cup qualifying yesterday? Yeah. Why is Italy getting so much? Do you know how much heat? material there is for you, Ryan, just sitting around and you're using your energy on Italy and the platy jubes? I mean, golly. <laughs> I, I, I just want to give some Queen facts, though. Um, she <laughs> just before we get back to Scotland and Ukraine, because I'd like to do that as well. But this is the 70th um, anniversary of her taking the throne. Joe basically is what this uh, this weekend is celebrating. Uh, so most of us have never known another British monarch, um, apart from Paul Gascoigne, who was king briefly in the 90s. Um, <laughs> and she was the person who handed England the World Cup trophy in 1966. She was 40 years old in 1966. Wow. And she is obviously she's 96 now, still going. Um, she served in World War II as a military mechanic as well. She's a very impressive lady, is the, the Queen. This morning on British TV, there's a show called Loose Women, which an American equivalent, I can maybe draw a comparison to is it is it called the view what's the yeah, one that whoopi goldberg it. does that's, that's kind of like loose that's that's <laughs> sort of like loose, loose women. women yep yeah that's what it's called yeah and and basically <laughs> there's there's four hosts. how are you an empire 
I don't understand. <laughs> and they all dressed, well, wait until you hear this. They all dressed as different eras of the Queen this morning. So there was like a wartime. Was was the Queen, the current Queen wartime? Anyway, it looked yeah. like she was wearing yeah. some sort of military outfit. There was four different outfits and it was utterly bizarre. Honestly, I, when it comes to the monarchy, I think this country has brain damage or something. Well, Everyone actually, was a different jube. Is that right, Grim? Everybody yeah, was a, right, a different yeah. era of jube. Four jubes. She wasn't the monarch then because no. they made that stupid movie about her like going out and finding love in wartime England, uh, which did not need to happen. And also the King's Speech. I think she's a small child in that one. Of course. Yes. It's 50, all movies. It's 52 all is when she was coronated. But um, as I've mentioned, she was she did serve technically in World War Two. You know, what's crazy is that when she was coronated, Law and Order had been on the air for like three seasons already. <laughs> bung bung. That was my impression. Did that was like funny. That? that was good, Taylor. Um. <laughs> Just before we get to listen to questions, I would like to hear a little bit more about uh, about um, Scotland versus Ukraine, Graham. Uh, obviously, you were there at Hampden Park uh, uh, yesterday, as we record. Mm -hmm. What was the atmosphere like? Uh, what was the game like? Well, the game from a Scotland perspective was terrible. We played very poorly, probably the poorest I've seen us under Steve Clark. We seem to have this thing of timing our our worst performances for the worst possible time that happened at the Euros as well. So that that isn't ideal. And actually, from a Scotland perspective, it was it was it was quite angry. I've never heard Hamden boo a Scotland team before, which is saying something given how bad we've been in the past. But I think because the group stage had been so momentous, and we had a genuinely brilliant, or not brilliant, but very good group stage. We only lost one match in, in that group stage. So to come from that and then have the postponement of the match and have to wait and the expectation and then to put in that performance, there was a lot of frustration and there was quite a lot of booing. But from the Ukraine perspective, they were they were brilliant. They were they were really, really good. They deserved to win. Their fans were excellent. And it's a great story that they're one win away from a, a World Cup, given the current situation in the country. One thing that was really nice was as I was exiting Hamden to, to go home, to get the taxi home, all the Ukrainian fans and the, and the Scotland fans were kind of applauding each other. And even that was maybe slightly performative. It makes me cringe a little bit. But what was genuinely very nice was when I was watch it, walking up to the taxi rank, all the fans were just mingling and having little chats with each other and where are you from and, you know, just being friendly and, and nice and wishing them all the best. And that, that felt genuine. So it was it was a, a painful one for the 90 minutes, but afterwards it, it was it was quite uplifting, actually. Oh, that does sound nice. And by the way, were they saying Boo or Rob Boo Wurtson? <laughs> uh, the latter, I think. Okay, good. Good to know. All right. Well, yeah, Ukraine, uh, as we record, are going to play Wales for the right to be in the World Cup. That's on Sunday. Am I right in thinking, Graham? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to watch that game, but yes, I think it's on Sunday. I'm going to block it out from my uh, consciousness. Indeed. A game Graham isn't going to watch. I mean, that is, that yeah. is something. I mean, I lied. I am probably going to watch yeah, it. I, it was for artistic license. Though. I see. My bad, Graham. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game of soccer. It'll be on TV. Of course, Graham Rutherford is going to watch it. Welcome back, Graham. We've missed you. Um, let's get to our listener questions, shall we? Adam Kalin comes up first. He asks, if the Super League existed this season, who would have won it? Who would have finished in the top five? And who would have been at the bottom and been relegated? Uh, before we get into this, chaps, um, the Super League website is still live. If you go to it right now, it's still there with that dodgy design. Uh, amazingly, it's not being taken down. Obviously, the Super League idea uh, came about and collapsed uh, just over a year ago, April last year, I believe it was. The format 
purported to have 20 teams, 15 of whom would be unrelegatable, and five guest teams each season in this competition. Uh, those 20 teams will be split into two 10-team leagues, uh, a minimum of 18 matches each season for them then, obviously. And then the top three in each division would go to quarterfinals, with the fourth and fifth place teams each playing off against each other for the remaining two slots. Uh, me explaining a competition that hasn't and won't happen there. Wonderful stuff. Um, so, uh, Taylor, I'll come to you first. There were 12 teams who signed up for the Super League. Big six in the Premier League. Uh, the big three in Spain. We had the big three in Italy as well. So, based on those, maybe we can posit some guests who might have showed up too. What are your thinkings on this question? Since I, it, And it would have been more of a league format. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, so the two 10-team leagues, yes. Cool. So you right. played nine, t- nine, nine league games and then go to the knockouts. That's what I, th- I just want to make sure. Uh, yeah, I have it as Man City winning the whole thing. Uh, I think my top five would have been Man City, Liverpool, Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, and then for Joe Lowry, Villarreal, edging into the top five. They'd Ayo. be in there somehow out of nowhere. <laughs> Why'd you bring them up? To Say make more. Joe happy, mostly. Say more about Villarreal. I like this. <laughs> so I, I, I will. Because even though I don't think they would have been one of the actual teams in there. But we don't know. We don't know how it would have gone. If none of the German clubs joined, that, we would have had to find a way slight, to That is a out. slight flaw in your project, projections, then, if they might not have been in it. <laughs> <laughs> even so, they would have found a way to win, Graham. Don't count yeah, they would have. You can never count them out. True. Uh, you're, you're very correct there. <laughs> um, right. But I would say the, those those top four to me, the reason why I have Real Madrid, who you know are the eventual Champions League winners, uh, lower than some of those other teams is because I think Real Madrid excel uh, in knockout round competitions. I think, the, and when you kind of get their backs against the wall, they seem to come together and find a way through. But I don't know how well that works in league format or even in the group stage we talked about this with them losing to sheriff tiras bowl uh and i think man city liverpool and bayern are maybe in my mind better positioned to be able to handle having those sort of league structures on top of their existing league structures so i still think madrid is in the top four and Villarreal, i think for similar reasons could spring those surprises but if it's not going to be Villarreal, then maybe i'll throw atleti in there instead my God, just looking at this format, by the way, Taylor, I, I mentioned the league structure. You get 18 games in the league and then potentially five more in the knockouts and maybe two extra if yeah. you have to do the playoff as well. That's 20 something, like t- maybe 24 or so games on top of the Premier League or on top of domestic insane. leagues that just these insane. guys were proposing. How nuts is this? I mean, and this is why they should have gone the, the whole hog. They should have, if they wanted this to actually happen, they should have actually thought bigger and replaced the domestic league system and just gone with a four. 40 season as 40 game season mm. I, I think, think that might have had a better chance of getting through i genuinely think that's kind of what they were trying to do and that is to in my mind since we're on the topic that is the kind of nefarious aspect of the super league is all the little things that maybe were left unsaid to your point ryan if you have all of those games in the super league and then you're going back to the premier league but you can't be relegated from the super league you're not gonna play that hard in the premier league so i think that's where we would have seen Historically, big teams not really care about the Premier League because there's so much more money in the Super League and it hurts English soccer as a result. So, oh, Taylor, uh, I've, just, yeah. I've just figured it out. That's why Man United didn't try very hard this season. They thought they were in the Super League as well. I mean, it would hurt me if I didn't have them getting relegated, even though I'm not sure they could have. <laughs> but that is the team that I think would have finished bottom of this competition. Can't argue. I think when, when this thing came out, we all said, uh, we all laughed that it would be Arsenal and Tottenham at the bottom of this thing, right? Um, but the way this season has shaken out, Graham, I suppose that wouldn't have been the case. No, I. So my top five, and I've kind of just gone with the teams that were in the like in the proposal. Um, so I've gone City. I agree with Taylor. I think City 
City are just a, a league machine, aren't they? They just they know how to to win leagues, if not knockout tournaments, as their Champions League form has shown under Pep Guardiola. But I've gone City, Liverpool, Real Madrid, AC Milan, Chelsea, and then my bottom three. I've gone with Juventus, Atletico Madrid, and bottom of the lot. I've, I agree with Taylor again. I've gone Manchester United uh, on the basis. Of this season, last season, we're at that strange point of the year. I'm not sure if it's this season or last season, but you get what, get what I mean. They were the poorest of the, the 12 teams that, that signed up. And I agree, Ryan, Arsenal and, and, and Tottenham would maybe be on the cusp of that top five. They would be maybe between sixth and eighth, I would say. Wow. Conte doing it in a kind of knockout competition. Is that what we're saying? Actually, well, if it's a league format, yes, but if it's a knockout form- format, maybe they are getting knocked out in the first round, <laughs> given his Champions League record. Indeed. Joe, how did you feel about this one? Yeah, I've got City on top as well, but it, it kind of is a toss-up for me between these 12 teams, which is which is what I did. I used Graham's approach. I have City and Liverpool as one and two, respectively, but you could flop those, and I, I wouldn't have any issue with that. And my, my top five is relatively similar to yours, Graham. It's not quite the same, though. I have City, Liverpool, Inter, Chelsea, and Milan in that order, and then I have Real Madrid. Actually, strike that. Let's put Real Madrid in the top five. That was based on expected goal differential from uh, this past season per 90 minutes from FB Ref, that, that City, Liverpool, Inter, Chelsea, Milan top five. I do think, you know, maybe it would have been a little bit different in terms of the actual results. Maybe Real Madrid sneak in there. So we'll say City, Liverpool, Inter, Chelsea, and Real Madrid. So I think I just had Inter instead of Milan, Graham, based off of what you had. Relegated? If we're just relegating one or two teams from the bottom, I think one of them is Manchester United, and I think one of them is Arsenal. Based off of how teams performed this season and kind of where I think teams are right now, it is a couple of English teams and maybe most likely Man United that I think get relegated. Hopefully for them, their prospects start to change over the next couple of seasons under Ten Hag. Of course, Joe, um, they can't be relegated because they would have been founding members. Boo. So my, my choices for relegation were Norwich and Burnley because I think they would have been invited <laughs> this, this year. It's just easy, easy relegation fodder. Either way, whoever's coming up is easy relegation fodder. In, yeah, kind of, yeah, you're kind of right there. Did you have Inter finishing above AC Milan there, Joe, just to check? Yes, I did. I mean, I think Inter was probably the better team this year, to be totally honest, over Milan. Milan, credit to them for winning the title. And Ryan, you had a great interview and and whole discussion about Syria. I believe that went up last week. So if folks haven't listened to that, you should go listen to it. I gained a greater appreciation and respect for Milan in general. But in terms of teams that I enjoyed watching more and teams that went further in the competition against major European giants, not unlike this one, Inter for me is, is the team to go with here. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Adam, for the question. Let's go to Charles Steenkolk, who says, with the summer coming up, what are some of y'all's favorite soccer books, uh, movies, and documentaries? Most fans have heard of or read The Ball is Round and the ESPN 30 for 30, The Two Escobars, but what else should the discerning fan enjoy in these times? Thanks, says Charles. Excellent question. Uh, Graham, I'm going to kick off with my favorite soccer book. It is called Fever Pitch. It is by Nick mm-hmm. Hornby. It was published in 1992, the year of our Lord. Um, it's about Nick Hornby. It's like autobiographical, autobiographical book, excuse me, about his life as an Arsenal fan. It's now been made a pen, Penguin modern classic, in fact. Um, very, very good sort of um, in, in intertwining him going to games, the experience of being a fan with his personal life as well. Very, very good read. Uh, it was also made into a movie starring Colin Firth in 1997. And also later than that, made into a terrible movie about, about baseball this time with Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore and the Farrelly brothers made it. it was Wait, also... what? Is this, a, is this a real film? Yeah. Obviously, I know the Colin Firth one. But they made an, a... an American version of Fever Pitch and oh, they changed right. it to baseball. 
That's Graham's not American, happened. so he doesn't know that all of America collectively had that professionally scrubbed from our brains, so no <laughs> one had to remember it. But outside of America, people didn't have that procedure. Did you see it, Taylor? I did on a plane, and guess what? It was the most garbage that garbage can be. <laughs> I feel worse like- than United Passions. Ooh, that's close. That is on my list of movies that people should see, though, and I'm not even kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I don't see that Drew Barrymore, Jimmy Fallon vehicle, but do maybe do see the movie and definitely read the book. That's my recommendation. I'll squeeze in one more while I'm talking. Um, my documentary of choice would be Bobby Robson, colon, More Than a Manager. I think I've talked about it before on this podcast. Uh, 2018 good. documentary. I believe it can be found on either Prime or Netflix, depending on your location. Uh, just a really, really wonderful retelling of Sir Bobby Robson's story and his life. Uh, the talking heads of people like Gary Lineker, Pep Guardiola, Ronaldo, R9 Ronaldo, all these people who just speak about Bobby Robson with such deference and respect. And he, as I say, I, I don't think he's the best manager who ever existed. I think he's the best person who ever existed. And that's all I'll say about Sir Bobby Robson. Go and find that one. Um, Taylor, let's hear more about you and um, United Passions is the lead off here. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to watch a movie that does not give you the history of FIFA at all, but gives you the propaganda version <laughs> that they want you to believe, it's worth watching just to see how ridiculously out of touch FIFA was when they decided to make that movie. And for very uh, few other reasons. Ryan, was it you and me who broke that one down? We did. Oh, boy. Yeah, so people should watch that and then listen to that episode because <laughs> I think it would be enjoyable. Um, I, I'll I'm going to this... listen to that episode again just for just for kicks. <laughs> I listened to it at the time. I'm going to listen to it again I, over the weekend. I'll say this. I have regrets about the way Daryl and I did uh, our review of the English game because I think I just solely saw that as, like, it's meant to be about the history of soccer. And even though we talked uh, a lot about how, like, it really wasn't meant for us. It was meant for people who wanted sort of a romantic period drama. Uh, I really did kind of tear that show apart every single episode, and I'm not sure it deserved it. I have zero regrets about the way I talked about United Passions because <laughs> that thing is garbage in the extreme. Um, talking about books, though... We're not gonna like we are gonna have to you know do different things this summer. We don't have as many major competitions to keep us occupied. I'm I am sort of interested in the idea of a TSS book club in which we all select a soccer book and read a chapter and then break it down an episode a week or something like that. Uh, books I would be interested in doing that with would be Zonal Marking or The Mixer by Michael That's, Cox. Those are the I only think. two that I'll do it with Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, what, but kind of. I mean, we could. I'm sure there's there's some some good uh, like set bladders history of FIFA out there that we could all kind oh, of yeah. analyze together. Uh, and I, we had uh, Simon uh, Simon Cooper on on the show talking about his book, The Barcelona Complex, and I really enjoyed that. It was one that I was going to sort of politely skim in the lead up to that interview, and I ended up reading it in the course of one night because it was that interesting. Uh, the Leeds All or Nothing documentary is is was very good when I watched it. But when I watched it, Bielsa was still the manager. And I don't know if it would be slightly less enjoyable now. And then it is also an abbreviated because of uh, the COVID pandemic and what that meant for that season. But I still think that that all or nothing w was pretty fascinating. And if people are inclined to indulge in certain uh, edible things, uh, you should do that and then watch. I've, I've talked about it before. I will talk about it again. Zidane, a 21st century portrait. His oh, last game good. for Real Madrid from with all the different uh, uh, camera angles and you can see he has, like close-ups of his feet for like 30 seconds at a time and you realize how little he lifted his feet off the ground. Scored by Mogwai. It's, it's a great one if you just want to zone out and stare at a screen for a while. 
And you mean edibles like eating burgers and fries and stuff, right? Yes, of course. Yes, yeah. of course. Good, good, good. All right. Well, um, I'll look out for. I've not actually seen that one, but I've heard that is a lot of fun, even if it, I think it, the premise is interesting. It's on YouTube in its entirety, but you're not getting the like the next level quality you would from a DVD or a Blu-ray, and yeah. and that is one of those where you do want to see it in the highest quality you I, can. I saw that performed live in Glasgow by Mogwai. Right. They did a, they did a gig right. and they they played it on the big screen. It was amazing. They scored it. Yep. Yeah, they scored as he scored. Yeah, and then as he did other things. <laughs> I'd like to see that that lovely developing ball patch in 4K though, Taylor. I'll look out for the highest quality possible of that one. Um, who have we not gone to? Graham, so have we had yours? Yeah, um, so I'll rattle a few things off. We'll try and keep this as short as I can. So I don't read as much as I should. I mean, I, I read a lot, but not a lot of books. It's just a bit too time-consuming. Do you to mean you read Twitter, Graham? Yeah, I read Twitter, yeah, exactly, and Instagram. Um, but nonetheless, I enjoyed reading Dennis Bergkamp's autobiography recently. He's Ooh. just a very articulate person who sees the game in a, in a slightly different way to a lot of people, and I just I just find his perspective very interesting. In terms of documentaries, that is very much my thing. So I recently watched Arsene Wenger documentary. It's called Invincible. I believe it's on Amazon Prime, certainly in the, in the UK. And while I've seen better documentaries in terms of telling the story of what he achieved, I found it a very interesting character study of a person who clearly still hasn't made his peace with how things ended for him at Arsenal. There's really interesting quotes about he has no reason to go back to Arsenal. He doesn't feel like he can go back to the Emirates Stadium, which is a, it's a bit sad given what he did achieve there. But he never had that told you so moment that he... he chased for about five or six seasons towards the end of his Arsenal career and he's, he's still very bitter about it and you can tell in the documentary so I enjoyed it from that perspective I would also rec recommend Bob Marley's Rhythm of the Game you can find it on YouTube and it's about Marley's uh, love of football his relationship with, this relationship with the sport and it's just a very well produced 30 minutes of football music crossover content I watched that a, a couple months ago and uh, finally, if anyone out there wants a true insight of what the Celtic Rangers rivalry is like, there's a 45-minute Vice documentary also on YouTube, and it's called Football's Most Dangerous Rivalry. I would suggest maybe don't watch it with young children. It is foul mouth and full of bigotry and violence. But if you want a warts and all account of what soccer in Scotland is really like, um, then I would. this is probably the best you'll find, in my opinion. Excellent recommendations, Graham. And that reminds me, you sent a video to the group last night of you in a pub before the Scotland game, which I gleefully opened in front of my young child. And then some very Scottish language was said as I... Mm. As I, uh, I wonder who would have said those things in that video. Was that you? Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God, Graham. Bar of soap coming your way. Goodness me. Um, let's take a very quick break. And when we come back, more listener questions back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. 
Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are taking your listener questions. Alex C has asked, which MLS team is the most interesting to watch in the build-up to the World Cup? Now, Joe, this feels like a very Joe question. And I don't know how to interpret this um, this word interesting. Does it mean sure. interesting in terms of learning about the USMNT? Does it mean interesting in terms of learning about soccer or a team that's chaos or good? So I'll let you uh, have at it with this one. Ryan, we had very similar thought processes. I don't know if that's the plural process. Probably just processes. Pro- process I. Process, process I. I. Yeah, Semi-new yeah. process I. Um, mm. We, Ryan, you and I thought about this very similarly. That's why I should have said this. Um, I broke this down <laughs> into four different categories that are eerily similar to the ways to define interesting that you just referenced. So, first of all, interesting team because they're good. NYCFC, so much talent. They're a real giant in the Eastern Conference right now. They might need a little bit of a shakeup if Tati Castellanos leaves over the summer, which it really sounds like he will. But that just provides an even more interesting wrinkle to this team. Is it Tyus Magno up top? Is it Eber up top? Is it you know a new incoming signing? I don't know, but this team is so good. They won MLS Cup last year, and I, I think they're the best team in MLS right now. Whether that will still be the case when Tati leaves, I don't know, but I think it will. So that's team number one. Interesting team because what on earth is going on? That's my second category. That's Charlotte FC. Uh, they're playing some fun soccer. Now Miguel Angel Ramirez is gone, and we talked – well, I, we didn't really talk about it, I guess, but we kind of alluded to it on a show on Tuesday. He's gone. It's not really clear why a DP threatened to not play after the international break if Ramirez was still the coach. Reportedly. He's no longer the coach. It is a wild situation. <laughs> What's next? That's an interesting storyline. One of the most interesting storylines in MLS right now. It's not – Every day, it's a little more often than it should be, but it's not every day you see an expansion team fire their head coach this early on in the season. So third interesting category, interesting because they're basically just the U.S. men's national team. That's FC Dallas. If you're looking to get a chance to watch Jesus Ferreira and to watch Paxton Pomichol and some other USMNT players, Paul Ariola, of course, Dallas is the team for you, and they pretty much play exactly like the USMNT in that 4-3-3 shape. Defensively, at least, that's how they press. I think they're fun to watch, and I think they're pretty good, too, this year. So that's my third. And my fourth and final category, Ryan Bailey. Interesting because Insigne, and that's Toronto FC. They are (laughs) awful right now. Toronto FC is just just terrible. They don't have a lot of good players. It's a lot of like reserve guys that are coming in to fill spots and the roster build has not been good to this point. They're spending a lot of money and have spent money on players that they probably shouldn't have. Either way, they're in a bind. Uh, is Insigne going to be able to fix that? I doubt it, but it's going to be entertaining one way or the other. If he can drag them up and up the, the table in the Eastern Conference, more power to him. And if Toronto just drags Insigne down, I think that's also a pretty entertaining storyline. So NYCFC, Charlotte, Dallas, Toronto, that's my my cliff notes teams to watch for MLS heading into the World Cup. Love it, Joe. Thank you. And uh, the, the uh, interesting thing about MLS this season, Joe, is that MLS Cup final is on November 5th, and the World Cup starts, what, three weeks later? November 21st, I yeah. want to say? Yeah. So we're going to have a nice lead in as well, aren't we? So maybe if we if we do start following one of these teams, then you might see some nice carryover. I think so. And, uh, and you'll see some MLSers in that World Cup as well. So you have the tie in there. I mean, you don't, uh, I guess folks already know that I think there are plenty of reasons to watch Major League Soccer. I enjoy it. So I don't really need to sell myself on any of this stuff. But hopefully one of those teams might capture Alex's attention as we head into November. 
And Joe, with that in mind, with the like like teams that might capture your attention if you want to prepare for the World Cup, the way I uh, looked at this question was was also which teams just have a lot of players who could be at the World Cup. Sure. Uh, and there's a few. Charlotte, uh, you already mentioned, Joe. I like your reason for that. But you've got Joswiak and Swiderski who could both be there for Poland. You've got Jordi Alcivar and Alan Franco who could be there with Ecuador. So you could watch four potential World Cup players. Montreal turns out as a ton of the Canadian national team. So if you want to see how Canada might uh, look, you could get kind of some early looks at a few of their players, plus Georgi Mihailovic, so you've got a U.S. interest. And LAFC have Maxime Cropo and Daniel Henry from Canada, Diego Palacios and Jose Cifuentes from Ecuador, and Brian Rodriguez theoretically could play for Uruguay at a World Cup. So uh, some international flavor to that one, and if you want to blend the Seattle Sounders with Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan, but then also Nuhu for Cameroon, uh, Xavier Are for Javier Arriaga for Ecuador and Raul Ruiz Diaz for Peru. So those would be some kind of combination teams if you want to get a bit of international flavor when it comes to the World Cup. Oh, Taylor, you left off the potential for Giorgio Chiellini to be at LAFC. Oh, wait, no, they're not going to the World Cup. Oh, never mind. Um, Graham, any thoughts on this one? <laughs> More shots in Italy. More shots in Italy. <laughs> I know. I'm in a mood today. Yeah. I feel spared to be to be honest today, um, Taylor. I think you you might have my notes because I think I, I think you covered everything that I had. I had FC Dallas with Ariola and, and, and Ferreira, Seattle with Morris, Roldan, and all the kind of international stars that they have, and then Mihalovic and the Canadian players at Montreal. And then I also think I am very nervous about that U.S. defense at the moment. So just in in terms of an individual player, I'll be keeping an eye on Nashville just to make sure that Walker Zimmerman is not uh, having any bad injury misfortune after what happened to Miles Robinson. So, yeah, making sure that the entire US defensive line isn't getting crocked before the tournament even kicks off is one of my priorities at the moment. Now, Graham, given that your nation will not be joining the TSF group of death, um, will you be backing Team USA fully now? Yes, 100%. Oh, Go USA. Uh, similar to if you want to become a Turkish citizen, you have to have a, a Turkish name. Graham, if you want to support the U.S., you will have to accept your American name. So you are now Greg Rogers. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I mean, that is objectively better than my actual name. So no let's go with way. that. No, your name's way cooler. I disagree. I disagree. Graham Ruffin is a wonderful name. Graham, you are welcome on to, I mean, uh, Team USA. Did you see what the Starbucks lady wrote on my cup on holiday when no. I said my name was Graham? Grim. Grim, G R I M, like it was short yeah. for grimace. I I have no idea, but I like to think that she was going for <laughs> my demeanor rather than my actual name. Graham, my my crowning achievement on that front was uh, when I once received a coffee cup that had Tater written on it. T A T E R Tater. <laughs> oh, Tater, you cracked my me sister. Up. My sister in law is her name is Iona which is quite a common name in Scotland, but I don't think it's that common in in, in America. And so, in her Starbucks cup, they wrote Iowa. <laughs> uh, if it's any consolation to Graham, <clears throat> excuse me if it's any consolation to Graham I'm always Brian 100% of the time on my Starbucks cup that's my name there um, that's but you not should your have pronounced name? it <laughs> no, no. Ah, Brian Rayleigh I thought you were Brian Rayleigh is that not true <laughs> who have we been talking to this whole time it is, time? Uh, it is if you go to my favourite coffee store let's just say that um, but uh, Graham you should have pronounced your name Graham right yeah but I find that awkward <laughs> <laughs> Like like graham crackers, right? That's maybe yeah. the bit, the way I could describe it in future. Dude, I like love graham crackers so much. Those things are delicious. Do you anyway. toast them with marshmallow and, and chocolate and stuff? 
I mean, I can. I I'll just eat them plain. To be honest, they're so well, just good. dry. Yeah, they're so good, Graham. You should you oh, should appreciate gonna need, that. You're gonna need a Starbucks to wash them down with. <laughs> we have enough dry grams around here. Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> Anywho, uh, thank you very much, Alex, for that question. Let's move on to one from Cam Tate, who I'm gonna take a big deep breath here before I ask uh, T- uh, Cam Tate's question. Who will win a World Cup first? The USA. The US? Yeah, <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> I've started, so I'll finish. Who will win a World Cup first? The US or England? Um, I'll couch this in the fact that uh, if you go to the bookmakers at the moment, England are about plus 650 to win the World Cup. The US for Qatar 2022 are plus 12,500. Just saying is all. Um, so you're sure. saying there's better yes. value on the US bet, Ryan, yeah. and saying it's yeah. a better bet. Always should back the longer bet. Um, there's a saying, something to the words of the effect of, if you always back the long bet, you come back with no shoelaces in your shoes. But if you only back the short bets, you come back with no shoes at all. So that's to say, back the long one, I think. <laughs> just, anyway, let's <laughs> let's just get to the question. Joe, what do you think? I, I'm, we can be more sincere about it than I'm intending to be. What do you think, Joe? Well, so first of all, England's already won a World Cup. Just to be yeah. very clear, like I, I, I had to go back and triple check that I wasn't insane. So England has already won a World Cup, but the if Queen we presented the, the question, trophy, Joe, we've covered this. Okay, they never talk about it as well. Yeah, I've never heard Ryan mention anything about it coming home or what. I literally mentioned in this episode already, sure. for what so, it's worth. As long as we get that out of the way, now we can all agree. Everyone say I that we never have to mention that again. Everybody. I'm, oh yes, uh, please. I, okay. I'm fine with that. Yeah. No one's, no Ryan, one's Ryan mentioned it when we were talking about the Queen. Yeah. She's the one who handed them the trophy. It's already yeah, so happened. Let's leave that in the past. Joe, hang um, on. If we're going on technicalities, Joe, the US have won several women's World Cups. Yes, they have. And they are the most dominant women's soccer team of all time. So yeah, in your in your face. Um okay, as far as who will win the next World Cup, if I had to pick, it is England. And I feel like this is a really obvious answer. The US is closing the gap in the talent sphere between England and or really between themselves and the, the top nations in Europe and South America, but they're not there yet. They're not really in the same ballpark yet. So I am going with England here as much as that pains me to say anyone can win a world cup. I shouldn't make that clear. England could get bounced from the group in 2022 and it really wouldn't shock me because of just how random international soccer and soccer tournaments are in general. But in terms of odds, I 100% think England have a pretty big advantage in this realm. I think the advantage is getting smaller, and that's an, a huge point of encouragement encouragement for USMNT fans. Mm-hmm. But there is still a pretty noticeable and observable gap between those two teams. Okay, um, Graham, your thoughts on this one? Before you actually, before you get there, I'll say that I think I will uh, I will go and put my neck out there on the line and say that I think England can win this november december 100 100 yeah um, I, I mean every fiber of my being wants to answer this question with <laughs> the usa but it's england unfortunately they are they are much closer to winning a world cup right now than than the usa as you say they could win feasibly win the world cup this winter and i don't think we can say the same thing about the usa at this point that doesn't mean the usa can't have a good world cup i just don't think they're going to go all the way beyond 2022 and 2026 and obviously um, as we've already mentioned, we're talking about men's World Cup here because the USA have, have, have won uh, countless, several women's World Cup. But men's World Cup, beyond 2022 and 2026, you're getting into the realms of making predictions based on not a great deal of uh, genuine evidence, more kind of on hunch and trends and all that sort of thing. So the USA is doing a much better job of getting players at big clubs in Europe. 
but who's to say that will continue beyond this current generation? That sort of thing can happen. There can be a bit of a, a, a dearth of talent. The same thing could happen to England. They could they could fall off. They had a, a difficult um, period after the, the golden generation and this current generation where I think they stopped producing as such a good player. So that could happen to England as well. I do think America is on the path to, be, to being a country that can challenge for men's World Cups, but... I, do, I think England are, are probably decades ahead of the US in that in that regard. So I, I still think England have a significant head start and they have also improved a lot in the last five years or so. So while the US have improved, I think England are a better team now than they were in 2016 or something like that. So that's that's my thoughts on the current situation. Tater, any advice on that? <laughs> um, good stuff, Ryan. Um, yeah, I think I, I agree with pretty much everything that's been said, especially starting with uh, the advantage getting smaller, as Joe was talking about. I think England in the like short to middle future has much more likelihood to win it. I think as we go on, I think that gap closes or the U.S. becomes the more likely to win it if we're talking about World Cups in I don't know, like late 2030s, early 2040s, maybe maybe it balances out a bit more. But I think ultimately what will continue to hold the United States back is domestic soccer. I think it's hard if you don't have it sort of baked in as a tradition that everybody plays football like you do in, say, Brazil or Argentina. It's harder to have like a less strong domestic like competition and then still produce that caliber of team you need. I think if MLS reaches a point where it is one of the dominant leagues or a very strong league and you have more sort of like like we were talking about earlier with the earlier question, we don't have as many players who could potentially be playing in a World Cup playing in Major League Soccer. When that starts to be a much bigger number, I think then you're going to have more people sticking with soccer, more general interest. And once you have more general interest from the United States, like broadly speaking, I think that's where you start to see a ton more talent getting developed and getting those opportunities, but then still moving to Europe and everything like that. But I think right now it is a pretty sizable gap and I think it's closing, but I think it's closing slowly and on a sort of case by case basis rather than uh, systematic. With all that said, I will, I remain adamant. I don't think England are going to have a world cup and that's not bias. That's not like anything like hoping the United States advances. I hope they do. I just, it just feels like they're going to have a bad world cup. It seems like they're due for a poor tournament. Uh, I still think England will not win in 2022, but maybe in 2026, we shall see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Due for a poor tournament. Did you not watch your 2016? <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, they've had two good ones in a row. Now they're due for a third bad one. Okay. Let's, please, uh... please, 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 please. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, flip the question slightly then. Um, when does the US win its first World Cup? How many years away is it, Taylor? Uh, uh, many, I think. I think, <laughs> like like 2002, if there's not the Torsten Frings handball, I will talk about that for forever. That That's my Wimbledon uh, like reference that I will always try to find a way to get in. Uh, Torsten Frings is the devil. Uh, but even there, that felt fluky, and it felt like te- teams didn't really know what to expect from the United States, and that would have put the U.S. in the semifinals, but that wouldn't have felt like a sign of how the program was developing. I think it's really hard to win the World Cup. Only a few teams have done it, and it requires a ton of talent, a lot of depth, I think a lot of international experience, and a little bit of luck, and I think the U.S. has some of those in patches, but I don't think they're getting close to the point where they're going to be consistently competing against some of the world's best teams. And that's what you have to be able to do and not be overwhelmed by the situation. And so, like I said, like 2030, 2040 is probably even a little bit premature for having those conversations. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully it's 2026 and they're pulling it off. But I think it's, 
it's easy to close the gap. It's hard to be the one who is creating the gap, if that makes sense. Yeah, understandable. All right, Cam, thank you very much for that question. We take a very short break now. When we come back, a few more of your listener questions. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are taking your listener questions, including this one from Mr. Richard Rolson. Hey, Richard, thank you for getting in touch once again. Richard asks, when did promotion and relegation start? How did this system spread around the world to become the dominant system of organization? Graham Ruthven, according to my research, it was a long, long time ago. Um, like 19th century long time ago. Yeah, so that's what I found as well, that the roots of promotion and relegation, as far as I can see, and this is the thing with when you go back to that era of, of soccer, there are conflicting reports and uh, different historical records. So maybe, Taylor, I know you like your football history, maybe you've got something different, but as far as I could see, the roots of, of the system, promotion and relegation system, are in English football in the late 1800s, which was a very influential period for soccer. This is when a lot of the laws of the game were established and when a lot of the, the clubs that we know today, they were created in this period. And in the 1800s, uh, crucially, you had the creation of the, the FA, the English Football Association, and the, the Football League. And before the Football League, before those two organisations, you had a soccer landscape excuse me, in England where, where there were a lot of competing leagues and associations, basically like American soccer is now, is basically how English soccer was in the late 1800s. And so you had the, the Football League try to become the dominant league structure and they lured clubs by making it uh, an open system and at first it was a, a re-election system so teams that finished bottom would of the of the division would be put up against teams that won other leagues and then in, 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 in a vote of the members and they would decide who would get the place for next season and then over time that eventually became a promotion and relegation system where they went up and down automatically and that system was basically adopted across the the rest of the uk and then into european soccer as well yep that's about what i have uh, i have automatic promotion relegation uh, taking place in 1898, but it, it I think it begins in around 1892 when you have your first second division, as Graham talked about. When you have a bunch of independent leagues, uh, you can have a, kind of a set number of teams, and they're very lateral in their structure. Once you start making them more of a tiered system, you need some way to move in between, so you get relegation and promotion. Uh, it, and then the the one that I thought was interesting, I did more reading about because it didn't make sense to me, the quick summary I, I read, uh, was that the reason for automatic promotion relegation, Graham, did you get into this at all? I don't think so. No, enlighten me. Prior to the 1898 season, so in the 1897 season, Burnley and Stoke colluded to ensure that they would both uh, stay up in the top flight. The way it worked at the time was the bottom two in the first division would go into what I'm assuming it was like a series of test matches is what that's called. 
from what I read, I'm assuming that's basically like a round robin competition. Uh, and also in there would be the top two from the second division. That was Burnley and Newcastle. And I think the case was that on the final round of games, Stoke and Burnley could both get uh, like into the first division with a draw. And they played very much for neither team to do anything. And it was seen as bringing the game into disrepute. And so then you get automatic promotion relegation from that point on. And my assumption would be that because you have IFAB, the the International Football Association Board, I think, um, they were the one who or- originally created the laws of the game, but they were originally founded in the UK. So I think there was already an idea that you look towards the UK for rules and governments and how to operate. And we've talked time and time again about how it was uh, Eng- like English people basically just spreading around the world and bringing football with them. So I think it sort of makes sense to look to to the UK, to England for those rules, specifically Scotland. Let's give all the credit to Scotland uh, for those rules. Thank and you. then you kind of like copy that system and away we go. Did you say those two teams that colluded together were Burnley and Stoke? Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I do not want to watch them play each other at the best of times. A match where they have con- they have uh, conspired to draw sounds like the worst football match in history. Just long balls from one end to the other it's, for 90 minutes. It's kind isn't of amazing that football carried on after that, really, isn't it? Like, yeah. it had a future after that. It's kind of amazing that, like, the first... Uh, the thing that led to automatic promotion relegation was for the four teams were Blackburn, Stoke, Burnley, and Newcastle. That feels relevant, like, like more than 100 years later. Uh, times haven't changed so much, I guess, until Newcastle were bought by all of the money in Saudi Arabia. Mm. Um, Taylor, quick question. When you hear the word collusion, do you just picture Roxin from the league like I do? <laughs> Always, always. <laughs> so much so that whenever I, I do play fantasy football, I am mortified about anything being collusion because he blames everything on collusion. Indeed, indeed. Good ref from me. Thank you very much. Um, Joe, we know you're a pro-rail zealot uh, for the US uh, sphere under your the synonym Ted that you use on Twitter. <laughs> right, I was going to say, yeah, my name's Ted. So Yeah. Um, so That's what they put on my Starbucks cups because I tell them my name's Ted. <laughs> oh, God, Ted's back. <laughs> I'm going to relegate this latte over to you. Um, do you think um, that the USA could ever have a system that approaches promotion and relegation, Joe? Sure. Yeah, eventually. Maybe like decades and decades and decades from now. I mean, the U.S. is in a spot where all, all of these other systems had been established around them. Back when soccer was kind of coming into its own in Europe and everybody sort of got on the same page Professional sports had already existed in the United States for such a long time by the time that soccer really ever got even a semi-grip in the United States. Like it got a little bit of a hold on any sort of market share in the U.S. So I think there are a lot of understandable financial reasons in terms of stability of the league as to why ProRail didn't exist when the league was founded. Now things have kind of snowballed to the point where there's so much money on the line, it will be very difficult for... MLS or whoever to transition. Now, areas where I do think that could happen, it would be pro-rel within the same league. I know that's a confusing idea, but maybe pro-rel within MLS and like sort of a two-division structure within Major League Soccer. USL is actually a league that I think is far closer to any sort of promotion relegation than than any anyone else in the United States. Mm-hmm. I think they could conceivably shift to a championship to League One pro-rel. They already have two divisions at two different levels, sanctioned levels in, in uh, the U.S. soccer pyramid. I think they could go back and forth. I don't think that's around the corner, but maybe that happens in the next 20 years as far as like any sort of wide open system. I think we're waiting a lot longer if it's ever going to happen at all. 
I like that. I think you have hit the nail on the head there, Joseph. Good stuff. Uh, Can thank I you, just Richard. add, uh, because Joe has answered the question correctly in my mind, uh, that if and when MLS were to adopt promotion relegation, I think the number one way that they could get me on board is to just call it MLS 1, MLS 2, and MLS 3, because I don't know if we need to copy the English model of the Premier League, the Championship, and League 1. That, that, like, are, they're all very good. Don't they all mean the same thing? It gets confusing to me, <laughs> and I don't want to copy that. Let's just have 1, 2, 3, 4, and away we go. Agreed. It's not at all confusing that the third tier is called League 1, Taylor. What are you talking about? <laughs> That hurt my brain when I first learned about it. Like, it it really did take me a long time to figure out what on earth was happening there. It's just to do with branding, Joe. It was Division 1 was the top. It got pushed down when they started the Premier League. Then it got pushed down when they started the Championship. That's all it is. I was having a conversation once trying to explain this to a person who didn't have the soccer background. And we kind of got through uh, Premier League Championship League 1. or uh, Yeah. And then there was a pause. And I said, okay, I think I understand this. But what is the Champions League? And that really does throw it even more into chaos when you've got the Championship and the Champions League, but the people from the Championship cannot play in the Champions League. It starts to get a little bit head-scratchy. Yeah, they're going to invent an elite league, and we're not going to know where it fits. That's going to be a problem in the future. Terrible Uh future we have ahead of us. Anyway, thank you, Richard, for that question. Uh, Let's go to Michael Pearsall for one question here. If you got a cap for each national team game you've attended in person... How many caps do you have for the US or England or Scotland for your dual nationals on the pod, says Michael. Uh, I'm a fringe player with four caps, three for the USMNT and one for the USWNT. Um, I don't know the answer to this question for all y'all, but I think Graham might be the leader in caps here. So I think I have to clarify, is this... Do I get a cap? Is this just counting my own national team games that I've attended? Or do I get a cap for the two teams that I watch in the game? Uh, if so, I've got caps for Italy, Spain, <laughs> Netherlands, Faroe Islands, and now Ukraine. I have read it as each time you have seen your own respective national team, you get one cap. Right, okay. Yeah. So I counted up how many Scotland games that I've been to, and I think I'm at about 34 wow. Scotland men's games. And three, I think three Scotland women's game, and I've uh, if my if I'm a dual national, which I know officially I uh, I'm not, but for the purposes of the 2022 World Cup, I am. Uh, if I'm counting sure the US Greg. as my my second nation, I've seen the US play Ukraine, Bosnia, and Austria as well. So it's possible I'm missing out a USA game as well. I feel like I, there's another one there somewhere. I've seen them play Scotland as well, but obviously that my allegiance goes to Scotland on that one. But yeah, I think that's where I'm at. Wow, that's impressive. So we're talking 40-something caps for Graham. Joe, how about you? Let's drop that down by 39 or something like that. <laughs> I have one. I have one. It was the USMNT versus Panama in January of 2019. It was Greg Berhalter's first ever game in charge. That is the only national team game that I have ever attended in person. I hope to bump that number up at some point in the next calendar year or so. But right now, I'm just, I'm just breaking into the national team picture. Joe, if it helps when we think about the like our World Cup roster structure, like we're we're all like the 30, 30 plus year olds. I'm just gonna leave it vague there. Who it's like, yeah, they got a bunch <laughs> of caps, but maybe they're on the way out. And then there's the young up and comer who's got the one cap. Like he's already getting called in. That's that's you, my friend. That's, that's you. right. I'm I'm Julian Green, so I don't know if that's Ooh. good or bad. But... <laughs> I mean, at hey. least call yourself Marek Tillman. Yeah, you're that, right. At least do yourself some justice. <laughs> Cutting in from the left wing, I'm Malik Tillman, baby. Bring it on. <laughs> all right. Um. So. Uh, Taylor, I'm imagining you're somewhere between 1 and 40. 
Uh, yes, closer to the one. Uh, bef- before I officially declared for the United States, I did have two brief caps uh, for Turkey. Uh, I have three for the U.S. women's national team, and I have at least ten for the men's national team. I might be forgetting a game or two in there, but it's at least ten. That goes back to, is- I think, World Cup 94, maybe? And then even they played a friendly here in Richmond at one point way back when. So uh, a couple different games from when I was younger, and I only vaguely remember. The, it is slightly unfair on you guys because like i've lived next to close to glasgow my whole life and scotland play all their games in glasgow and unless you live in ohio it feels unlikely you're going to have been to as many usmnt games yeah graham i think you've you've been to like five this season i think (laughs) so yeah i think you you probably not surprisingly are winning that one though we haven't heard ryan's ryan uh i don't know how many you have for england and then i don't know if you switched your loyalty to italy yet uh no (laughs) haven't done that um so, so, Graham, how many caps would you estimate I have? Oh, I, I mean, I have no idea. Uh, I'd like you. I, I, say, grew up in London. F- I grew up in London, so... Yeah, so you close to Wembley. Mm. So I, I would say, uh, surely surely 10. I'm going to say, like, two, Ryan. You don't like international soccer. Zero. Zero. What? <laughs> I've never seen England play before. Wow. Yeah, revelation. Pretty shocking, you're, isn't you're it? You're always too busy running all day when they are playing. <laughs> well, I, I put it down to the fact that when when I lived in England, and um, certainly when I was younger, I went to a lot of domestic team games, and I always g- regarded myself as a domestic fan. Yes, I get myself up for summer tournaments and whatnot, but I've always, from when I was young, I'd see David Beckham playing on the opponent's side, and I, my mentality was always, why do I cheer him when he puts on a different shirt? I can never kind of get my head around that, and I realize it's faulty logic. Uh, obviously. Uh, and I think I've become more of an England fan when I moved away from England, to be honest, what, 11 years ago, um, if I'm perfectly honest. I have been to, I, tr- I have the world's worst memory, but I think I've only been to three international soccer games. I went to a game at the 2014 World Cup. I saw Belgium play Russia. It was a terrible game. Uh, I went to the Olympic gold medal game, Brazil and Germany. And I believe I've seen Brazil play at the Dolphin Stadium in Miami. And I can't recall any other international games I've been to. I've never seen England play. I've only been to one game at Wembley. That was the 2013 Champions League final between uh, Bayern and Dortmund. Um, but I will say I'm trying to make amends for it. I'm trying to get some caps. I did apply for tickets for Qatar. I've been turned down twice already. But I will tell you, Graham, um, there is a Nations League game in September at the San Siro. And I'm going to try my darndest to go and see my first England game there. How's that sound? One cap maybe by the end of the year. Yeah, have you been to the San Siro before? I have walked around outside it. It is a magnificent. I mean, it's crumbling and it's old, but it's just got an aura about it. I've been to it once before. Well, I'm you crumbling and old as well, so we'll get on just fine. <laughs> Super tight security there as well. Really difficult to smuggle in a Vespa. That happened. Uh, <laughs> I like that Ryan, like Joe, suggested this was because Ryan doesn't like international soccer, and that was poo pooed. And yet, Ryan, the ones you have seen are all like high level competitions uh or, or you're applying for like the world cup i guess you could see an, inter- an international friendly you know i know i know and I, I i it's remiss that i haven't done it and obviously all my friends growing up have all been to england games and i was around euro 96 and you know i, I never went to any of those or anything it, it's it's shameful really to be honest taylor that i haven't been to any is, but i'm trying to make amends 
Is this you covering your tracks so that you don't get caught uh, on the CCTV storming the turnstile at last Euro 2020 final? We all saw you, Ryan. You were there. Yes. You barged your way through the turnstiles. Holding my grim Starbucks cups and no I'm, one would know. It I'm taking me. it a different way. I think that this is why Ryan began this by going out of his way to mention the platy-jubes. I think he's just trying to show like, no, I love England. England's great. It's my favorite. Even though I don't support them on the international level, I love it. It's great. All right. Thank you very much, Michael, for the question there. <laughs> Uh, let's go to Kevin Tolly for some bonus Graham content. Hashtag bonus Graham content because Graham's back and we all want to hug him and kiss him. Uh, Kevin says, <laughs> hello, question for Graham. Who is Aaron Hickey? Will he help Arsenal? Is he Tierney Light or a real contender? Uh, we are talking about uh, Kevin. Uh, sorry, we're talking about Aaron Hickey. This is Kevin's question. Who plays for Bologna in Italy, linked with <laughs> Arsenal and Tottenham. What you got, Graham? Yeah, so Aaron Hickey is, is widely seen as Scott, the next on the conveyor belt, Scotland's next big hope, and of course he's a left-back. Um, <laughs> he played right wing-back for Scotland against Ukraine last night and was, frankly, very poor. Uh, he was a bit like a rabbit in the headlights, but that is not his natural position, and he only played there because of injuries and Nathan Patterson not being available and it was, I think it might have been his first competitive game. So it was it's slightly unfair. I wouldn't judge him on that at all. As a left back or a left wing back, Hickey was one of the best young players in Serie A for Bologna. This season he scored five goals. And I'd say that's one of the things that makes him different to Tierney as he carries more of a goal threat. I would rather he didn't go to Arsenal because uh, I'd rather that there isn't one club stockpiling Scottish left backs and I want Hickey to go somewhere where he's going to play and um, I don't think he gets in the Arsenal team ahead of Tierney if he's fit but from an Arsenal perspective I think Hickey would be a great signing he's got huge potential I can see why Arteta would would see him as a good deputy for Tierney he does that driving thing, thing through the middle that Tierney does he likes to get forward and into the box and he's actually got a lot of experience for a player who's still a teenager. He, he's, his first season at Hearts when, was when he was 16 years old. So he's got three full seasons of first-team football under his belt, including one and a half in Serie A. He's a full Scotland international. And I think that AC Milan, Juventus and Arsenal all want him says a lot about his potential. So I'm very excited about Aaron Hickey, despite his very bad performance last night. Uh, they told us Scotland couldn't have a, a full team of left-backs. We're going to test that theory with Robertson, Tierney and Hickey over the next few years, I think. So, Graeme, you know how surnames are often, the etymology behind them is what the career of the person was or what, what they, their duty was, like a Miller or a Smith uh -huh, or sure. a, a Rockwell for someone who rocks very well. Um, Hickey. Accurate. Hickey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hickey, someone who intensely kisses other people's necks. Yeah. Is that where he got that from? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know if that was a British thing or not. But uh, does that travel across the pond? Is that a thing in in the US? Yes, maybe. I think maybe so. a, an ancestor of his. That I don't know if you can be a professional at that though. But might have been very good at that. Maybe so. Maybe so. World's oldest profession, giving hickeys, as they say, Graham. Uh, I think that just about <laughs> concludes our listener questions. Uh, Tater Rockwell, thank you very much for your time, sir. Right back at you, Brian. Uh, Grim Ruthven, a pleasure as always. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Joe, did we get your Starbucks name? Ted. It's me, <laughs> Ted. Ah, it's Ted, of course. Ted, a pleasure as always, sir. Keep fighting that fight. Right back at you, bright guy. <laughs> and listener, thank you very much for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very soon, but for now, bye. Slash it!